Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. I want to define turning point for us. According to the Cambridge English Dictionary, the phrase turning point is defined as the time when a situation starts to change in an important, especially positive way. That moment when a situation starts to change in an important, especially positive way. And I, I want to believe that all of us, we want turning moments in our lives. Amen? We want to see a turning moment. We want to see a turning point that God is going to take us from one direction, one trajectory, into a new one, into the direction that he's uh, going to take us into. So today we're going to cover uh, start a two-part series, and today we're going to be talking about breaking. We're going to be talking about putting on the brakes, slowing down, pausing, looking back, reflecting, Next week, Pastor says he's going to talk about accelerating. How do we look into the new year and really head into the trajectory that God is taking into? So as we talk about this first part called breaking, is this whole concept that you have to go slower in order to go into this new direction. You can't just speed in and then expect that you're going to turn that corner and just go with the same speed that you're always going into. Life doesn't work that way. This is it's not just a driving principle. It's a, it's a life principle. And I don't know how many of you have ever driven a car before, but... As, as uh, if you've ever driven a car before, you know that when you turn, you can't just like hit the gas and, be like, and go around like a race car driver. And in fact, if you, if you talk to professional race car drivers, they don't even do that. They actually brake all throughout the race in order to turn. And I, I have a lot of personal experience with this where it, it really didn't go well in the sense of, so I, I grew up in the U.S., so we drove in, and from Michigan, there's, uh, winter is not like Hong Kong at all. Like this is wonderful weather. For some of you who are like, I'm, you're bundled up, you're like, it's so cold. But this is wonderful weather. For someone who grew up in Michigan in the winter, it can get down to minus 30, minus 40 degrees Celsius. So that's like summer opposite, right? It's like take the summer and go opposite. Yes, exactly. Minus 30, minus 40 degree with the wind chill. And so there was one time, I'll just share this brief story. There was one time where it was the middle of winter, and I was driving to the airport, picking a friend up, and then I picked him up. And I drove him back, and it was one of those days where it literally just snowed. It was like a blizzard. It snowed so much, and the, the, the temperature dropped to about minus 30, minus 35 degrees Celsius. And at that temperature, when the snow collects on the ground, and it goes overnight, because in that temperature, the, the temperature at night drops dramatically, and all the snow and water, what happens on the road? It turns to ice. We call that black ice. Why? Because the road is black and you can't see the ice. <laughs> so it's really dangerous to drive in that season. But I had to pick up my friend from the airport. So I said, okay, let's go. And we'll just try to drive carefully. So I'm on the way back from the airport. I'm driving on the highway. It's just a two lane and there's different cars. And we're all driving a little bit slower because, you know, it's, it's a little bit dangerous. And as I'm driving, I see, I start to see these red lights in front of me. Keep in mind, on the highway, there's no traffic light. So it's not a traffic light. It's other cars putting on their brake lights. And I'm already, I'm still about half a kilometer away, and I'm seeing these red lights, and I'm, oh, no, there's something is going on. Something is not good. And I start to slowly tap the brakes. Because when, when you drive and, and on ice, you know that you can't just slam on the brakes and expect to stop because your car, your wheels are going are to uh, get locked, and you're going to start sliding. So I'm putting on the brakes, and then all of a sudden, my car's going to do, 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 do. I'm like, what is going on? And that's the called ABS, Automatic Braking System. Like, the car is trying to help you brake and pause and, and brake and stop and brake and stop so that you can actually come to a stop. But even as I'm doing that, my car's still going, and as I'm getting closer and closer to the car in front of me, I'm, oh, oh this is not going to go well. And as I'm getting closer and closer, 
I'm, I'm getting slower, but not slow enough to be able to stop in front of the car. So at the last minute, I realized, like, if I don't turn, something bad is going to happen. And so I think within about, a, like, 50 meters, I slowly steer over, and I'm like, it's either ditch or car. And so I'm like, I got to make a choice. So I just make a choice, and I'm like, okay, let me turn over. And then, boom, I just land into the ditch. So I'm going to show you two pictures of what that looks like. I had to take a picture because. So that's the highway. And clearly, you can see how far off the road that I went. Because you have no other choice, I just went off into the ditch. And my car was stuck in this. We were waiting for like two hours in the freezing cold, waiting for a tow truck to get out. And then finally, the tow truck came. And I think the next photo. You'll see how far off I was off the road. And uh, one thing that. I'll share with you is literally as soon as I went off to the ditch, we, we kind of stopped in the snow because the snow was packed and it stopped us. And then 20 seconds later, what did I see go by me? I saw another car that chose not to turn. And then whether it was because uh, there are a lot of different reasons why that car couldn't turn. And one of the reasons I think was that because the car was going too fast to be able to turn. Because if you're going to turn on ice that's slippery, you need to be going slow enough for your tires to actually grip the road and actually make the turn. But I'm guessing that car was going too fast. And what ended up happening was they ended up crashing into the car in front of them. And uh, that's where different cars started stopping. And like a couple cars hit each other because then I was like, praise the Lord. Thank you, God, so much for allowing us to go slow enough to turn. And I, and I share that story. Why? Because when we think about turning, we oftentimes don't think about slowing down before we make that turn. But in order to actually turn, you, you have to slow down. You can't keep going the same speed. Otherwise, What's going to happen? You're going to crash in that other car. You're going to spin out. You're going to, you're going to be sliding and turning around. And I don't know if you've ever seen those videos of really bad spin outs on ice where cars literally, they try to brake and they try to turn. But because they're going too fast, what do they end up doing? They end up spinning around. And instead of hitting the car head on, they hit the car sideways. And that ends up actually impacting the passenger. And so many of us, when we, we, we think of our lives in that way where we're just like, oh, I'm just going to turn. And you don't realize how fast you're going. You end up spinning out, and you realize, like, wow, my life is just as bad, if not worse, than when I try to make a change. So I'm not going to make a change anymore. Many of us are, are jaded, are pessimistic. You've gone through so many New Year's resolutions. Like, what's the point? I tried before. And, and making that commitment, making that desire to change, and now seeing where I'm at right now, it feels worse than if I have even tried to make that change. Why? Because I spun out. And this whole idea of breaking and slowing down, we have to embrace this idea that we have to slow down first. We have to look back. We have to pause a little bit to be able to see that change, that turning point that God wants us to be in. So I want to give us the one thing this morning. The one thing is that our turning point starts when we slow down and see life from God's standpoint. Our turning point starts when we slow down and see life from God's standpoint. We're going to look at Psalm 90. I'm going to go through the whole psalm. And so hopefully, uh, turn to Psalm 90 and just put your finger in there. We're going to talk about two principles. We're going to use this whole driving analogy and, and talk about two principles uh, of how we ought to see our turning point starts when we slow down and see life from God's standpoint. So the first principle is we got to break. We, just, we have to break. We have to put on the brake, not, not at the last second, but we have to put on the brake gradually and slowly so that we can take a, a step back and see God's perspective, God's standpoint in the whole thing. So hopefully you've turned to Psalm 90 by now. I'm going to read the first six verses, verses 1 
to 6. This is a prayer of Moses and written down in psalm form. So verse 1 to 6, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning, In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. So the first thing we talked about is we need to break before we head into 2022. And we see Moses. Moses is the author of the psalm. He's the one. The psalms are prayers. So he's he's lifting up a prayer. And so Moses gives us two things that we need to have or how we need to break or how we need to pause in order to see that God's standpoint or his perspective. So the first thing that he's encouraging us is to pause to see God as limitless. We have to pause in order to see God as limitless. There's two images that Moses uses in these first six verses that he uses to help us to see God as limitless. First image, he uses this idea of dwelling place. He says, Lord, you are our dwelling place. And, and you have to keep in mind, Moses, Moses is writing from the perspective of he's led all the Israelites, multiple generations. He's saying, You've been our dwelling place through all generations, right? So he's led the Israelites through multiple generations. From when he was a baby, he was with the Israelites in captivity in Egypt. And what did God do during that time? He led them out of Egypt. But not only that, Moses had to go into 40 years in the wilderness. So he saw that generation pass. And then when he came back, what happened? Then he went to the Israelites. He talked with the elders. He went against Pharaoh. He saw all the plagues. And then he started to lead the Israelites out. And what happened there? He led the Israelites out. They saw the Red Sea. That, That was a generation. And then when they are in the wilderness, what happened? They disobeyed God. They rebelled. And then Moses led them through 40 years in the wilderness. And then he came to his death place, which was right before he went into the promised land. And that was another generation. So Moses has seen multiple generations throughout his whole life. He's saying, God, you have been our dwelling place in all these generations. I want to focus on that word dwelling. The word dwelling is translated in the New Living Translation as our home. Everyone say our home our home. There's a sense of uh, 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 this is our, our space just to be still, just to relax. Many of us, we, we see our homes as a, as a place to rest. You're out and about, busy, been you know shopping, Christmas gifts, hangouts with friends, and you come home and what do you want to do? You want to rest. You want to be still. You want to pause. You want to just be to yourself. You, you just want to dwell there. This is the whole concept of your home. And the Amplified that the, the phrasing in there, the different translations, our refuge, our sanctuary, our stability. There's a sense of this is our refuge. What do you do in your refuge? You, you, you're, you're, you're dwelling there. You're, you're staying there. There's a, there's a sense of stability, of permanence, of slowness there. And, and, and as we talk about this whole idea of dwelling, this image that Moses is using to say God is so limitless, what do we do when, when we see something so big? We're in awe. And so we pause and we stop for a little bit. And we dwell there. And my question is, when's the last time you just dwelt with God? You're a God. You are my home. You are my refuge. You are my fortress. You are my security. You're my stability. We just pause to say, God, that is who you are. Instead of going about our busy days, time after time, moving moment after moment, 
Now, how many of us, we know, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us, we know that when we're going around so busy trying to do all these things, we can't really sense the presence of God. It's really, really hard to try to go and do all these things and at the same time really sense the presence of God. We have to pull away and to pause, to say, God, you are my home. You are my resting spot here and there. The second image that Moses uses is creation, verses 2 to 4. There's a series of comparisons that Moses uses between God and people. So for God's perspective, what does he say? He says God is what? Everlasting to everlasting. He says God is, his perspective is over a thousand years. He is the creator, right? He talks about mountains before the mountains were born, before the earth and the world were created. So God is, is these great perspectives, these great, amazing longevity, this, these long time-based types of perspective. What is the human perspective over here? He says, dust to dust. Do you see the difference? Everlasting to everlasting, dust to dust. It's very different. Referring to Genesis 3, 19, when, when he tells Adam, from dust you were created until dust you were returned. So we're very temporary. We're very short. Uh, compared to a thousand years, humans are what? Like yesterday or as they're watching the night. Our lifespan compared to God. God is, if God's time span, his understanding perspective is over thousands and thousands of years, ours is like yesterday. And you're like, what did I even do yesterday? It passed so quickly. Or like a watch in the night. It's very short. And then the last thing, if God is the creator of mountains and earth, then what are we like? We're like grass in the morning that is great in the morning, but by evening it's wilted. And so you see, you see this very, very distinct comparison. God is this, this huge, immense, long-lasting person being compared to us as humans we are so small and so brief and the focus is on like wow look how great in creation god is look how big look how magnificent look how amazing look how long-lived god is and why is that important because unless we see god that way we see his limitlessness that we will not stop to pause we won't stop to pause. You'll only stop to pause for the things that are worth pausing for. Amen? You're gonna, only going to stop pausing for the things that are worth stopping to pause for. I don't know how many of you like walk by a restaurant, you saw a long line outside of the restaurant. You're like, oh, I wonder what that is. Or how many of you, you've gone hiking. And what do you do? I, I don't know any of you who, maybe you, you're like really into speed hiking. Let's Let's get this hike done over with as soon as possible. And so you're, with, you're hiking with your group of friends. You're like, let's go, guys. Stop taking photos. <laughs> you're like, why are you guys stopping for all these photos? Can you imagine? Like, no, when you go hiking, what do you do? You hike a little bit, you stop because you're tired. <laughs> Not because you want the photo. You're tired. You're like, I'm out of breath. I can't keep going. No, you stop because you get to a point where you're like, wow, that's beautiful. It's amazing. Let's stop. Let's take some photos. Let's, let's just look and just be amazed at how glorious and amazing this is. How many of us, we do that with God? Like, wow, we speed hike through God, through all the things he's trying to tell us. We speed hike through that, and we miss out on all the things that God wants to show us. Kind of as if you were trying to run through the mountains and be like, oh, I'm not going to look at that. I'm, not gonna I'm just going to just try to get to the end. You're missing out on all the things that God wants to show you. I, I, just to make this a little bit more tangible, practical for us, 
single adults, married couples, let me hear an amen if you agree with what I share. University goes by really fast. Amen. Some of you who are university students right now, you're like, oh my gosh, my exam season was so long. It was so long, you couldn't get over faster. Like this year, especially that, that year we were online learning COVID, it was so long. Man, it was so long. And then we're here, the rest of us who have graduated from university and we have kids, we're working. They're like, yeah, it was, it was so quick. Don't, it's going to be over just before you know it. It's so interesting how life works that way. That when you've gone through something, you have more experience, wisdom, and perspective. When you look at life in the past, you're like, wow, that was actually really short. And it, and it, and it causes us to realize we're actually not as big as we thought we were. God is actually much bigger. And the things that we thought were so big, they're actually not that big. They're actually much smaller than we thought. And God is so much bigger. And we're so much more limited compared to God. And this ought to then cause us to what? See life in a different way, to pause and take those moments. I want to read a vo- uh, quote from Matthew Hale. He's, uh, in, he was uh, living in the 1600s. He said this, he said, if we do but seriously believe the truth of the gospel and the truth of the life to come, the best things of this world will seem a small moment. And the worst things of this world can inflict, will, sorry, the worst things this world can inflict will seem but of a small moment. And the worst things this world can inflict will appear too light to provoke us to impatience or discontent. He that hath everlasting glory in prospect will have a mind full of contentment in the darkest condition here. You're like, what does that mean? I can't read 1600s English. Pretty much he's saying, if you understand the gospel, and the gospel is talking about the glory of Jesus Christ, the glory of God, the magnificence of God, and how he came in this world, born in a manger, came to forgive us, die for our sins, rose again, from dead to life, ascended to the right hand of the throne of God, and that is what we believe, and that is what we hold on to, then that is such a glorious and wonderful and beautiful truth. And if you understand that, then the best things and the worst things of the world, it will seem like a small moment. It will seem like nothing compared to the glory and the beauty and the majesty of God. Why? Because God is limitless. God is huge. God is wonderful. God is amazing. And if we believe this truth, the truth of the gospel, then all these things, we will not be impatient or discontent anymore. So many of us, I just get that sense that that's, that's our attitude, that's our mindset. Yeah, we're trying to celebrate Christmas. We're like, oh, life is like, here we go again. I'm discouraged again. I'm going to go through this again. It's a new year. Who cares if it's a new year? I'm just going to go through it again. How many of us, we have that kind of mindset? Instead of saying, this is just a small moment. God is so much bigger. And if this is so small in comparison to God, then can my mindset and perspective be different instead of discontentment? What am I going to have? A a deep contentment, a deep joy, a deep peace, love, joy, peace, all those things that we put up there. You cannot have that unless your perspective of God is big, a limitless God. But you cannot see a limitless God unless you what? You pause. You break. You slow down. Just as a plug, ODF is coming up. And you're like, oh my God, fasting is so long, two weeks. Can't, I can't go without Netflix for that long. 
I can't go without food for that long. It's a small momentary moment in the greater scheme of all eternity. But God is going to use that small moment to what? To help you to pause, to look back, to reflect, see what God is doing, to, to see his bigger perspective of eternity rather than your small momentary moment of discontent. I'm wondering if the reason why you're so discontent is because you're trying to go through life like speed hiking or like you're trying to go through life like you're always in traffic, always honking the horn, always trying to go from one MTR to the other. You're so busy and you don't take a moment to see what God is doing. Let's pause. Let's look back. Let's reflect a little bit. This is the problem even with Jesus and his disciples. His disciples were constantly like, God, when? When is this going to happen? Where are you going to do this? Can you do this now? When is it going to happen? John 7, verse 3 to 5. This is uh, the disciples uh, now talking to Jesus or his brothers. Brothers could be disciples or it could be his literal brothers. We don't know, but this is what it says in verse 3. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he has to, seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. So his brother's like, do all the things that you said. Hurry up. Come on. Where, where are you going? What, what are you doing? And he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down. My time's not here yet. You don't even know what's coming. You don't even see the bigger perspective that I have of eternity. You're only looking at your narrow moments, your only narrow circumstances. Of course, if you look, how many of you, you had a bad day, and if you, all you focus is on that bad day, what happens? You think your life is terrible. How many of you have been, don't raise your hand. How many of you have been there? You had a bad day. Oh my God, my life is terrible. But when you look back, you're like, wow, actually the last couple of years has been awesome. I've grown so much. I accepted Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I got baptized. Wow, isn't that amazing? I'm not saying that sarcastically. <laughs> it is amazing. And you have one bad day and you allow that to dictate your whole life. It's crazy. Acts 1, 6-7, another instance, and this will be my, the last one. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Hilarious, because before Jesus died, all the disciples thought he was going to conquer the Roman government. That was what they were trying to do. They were like, we are going to restore Israel to its rightful kingdom. We're going to have an Israelite king, and we're going to have this kingdom of God. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. So I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. And then after he died and rose again, you would think that the disciples, that, oh, maybe what we thought isn't right. But here they, here they go again, asking the same question. When are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he's like, no, 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 no. It's not for you to know the times or seasons. Your perspective is too narrow. You're thinking too narrowly. You're thinking too circumstantially. You're thinking in too small moments. You got to think of the greater span of eternity and God's greater purposes. And my question is, how many of us, we're just like the disciples, impatient, discontent, always thinking, God, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? Why don't I see this? Why don't I see that? And God, the whole time, he's trying to knock on your door and say, hold on, pause, wait for a moment. Your perspective is not as big as mine. And just maybe, just maybe, if you saw with my perspective, that you would see what I'm trying to do. You would understand what I'm trying to do. 
oftentimes we're running so fast, seeing everything with our own lens, we miss everything. I, I wanted to show a quick video just to kind of hammer this point home. It's of, uh, I don't know any of you who have like um, those, those screensavers that kind of show like aerial views or drone footage. Like I love those because you know when I don't want to work on something and I just let my computer go for a couple minutes and then the screensaver pops up and then just like this beautiful like slow moving like view of different places in the world and you just kind of sit there like, oh wow. It's like soothing, it's calming. But I wanted to show two videos of the same thing played at different speeds. Because one is really fast. This is how we typically go through our lives. And the other is how we ought to go through our lives in different seasons. And so the first video is going to be sped up like 16 times speed. The second video is going to be played at normal speed. And I just want you to see the difference because I wanted to help us to understand this is oftentimes how we live our lives. So um, yeah, we can turn the lights off and then um, We'll watch the first video. Okay, you can keep the lights off, but how many of us were like, what the, what was that? We'll watch the second one. settle in a little bit. I mean, we all notice a difference. And I don't know about you, but I, even though I've watched that several times now, I'm like, oh man, it's just, there's a, just a difference. When you pause, when you slow down, and when you just get to see. And th those are just videos of God's creation. Imagine if you were to actually personally 
slow down and pause and look back and say, God, what have you done in the last year? What have you accomplished? What did you do in my life? How have you been good? How have you been faithful? What are the disappointments I've gone through? What are the discouragements? But what have you been doing in light of that? And, and just one thing, I know that for whatever reason, I, I just feel this in this season. We've been doing, I've been having a lot of different like social gatherings and parties and Christmas stuff, and, which is all great. They're all great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying they're bad. But so many of us, we've packed our holiday season so much with different activities that you don't create space just to be with God just to dwell with him, just to view his creation and pause and be like, wow, God is so big. And I want to challenge us just to stop for a moment. That was, I don't know, don't, don't get, don't, you don't have to say it out loud, but if you think about it, I, I don't know how many of you knew how long that was. You just kind of transported into a, a different environment. That was only like about a minute and a half, at most two minutes. You imagine two minutes, what that can do. You imagine if you spent 10 minutes even just an hour of time just in the presence of God, slowing down, pausing, reflecting, thinking about the things that he wants us to experience. I feel like our lives would be so different. Our perspective would be so different than what it was going into this year. The second uh, thing that Moses is trying to help us to see is not only pausing to see God is limitless, but also pausing to see ourselves as limited. We're going to read verses 7 to 11. This is what it says. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger, your wrath according to the fear of you? Second thing that we need to see in order to break is to see ourselves as limited. So God is limitless and we limitless and we are limit limited. So Moses continues on, and not only is he saying this is who God is, but he's saying, in light of who God is, this is how we as people are responding. He's saying this is how we are, are as people are responding. How do we see that? He's describing the people's responses. So the first thing that he describes in their response is that we try to hide. People try to hide. We're always trying to hide from the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate the, uh, ate the fruit and God is like, where are you? And he was like, oh, I was, I was afraid. I was hiding. And he says this where in, in verse 8, saying, you know, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. So he's saying, God, you exposed us, our, our secret sins. So for, for a sin to be secret, what do we have to do? We have to conceal it. We have to hide it. We have to try to cover it up. But this is the thing is we don't, want, we don't want to be known like that. We don't want to be known as someone who's sinful. When you're sinful, what is it that you're, you're trying to cover up? You're trying to cover up the fact that you're limited. Because at the, at, the, at the bottom of it, the whole concept of sin is that we are trying to be limitless when we are limited creatures. What was, what was Adam and Eve's sin? They wanted to have the knowledge of good and evil which was to be like God. So they want to be like, so they want to be unlimited. So as we sin, what are we trying to be? We're trying to be like God. But that's the problem is we are limited. And so when we try to cover up our sins, we're trying to say, God, 
Like, I don't want to be limited. I don't want to be small. I don't want to be fragile or broken or discouraged or any of these things. But that's the problem. That's the very problem is we cannot accept that we're limited. That we don't think we ought to be limited. We, th- we ought to think that we think that we're limitless. And that's the first response that Moses says, that's a problem. Because as long as you think that you're limitless, you try to conceal your sin, then you're going to be stuck. You're going to be stuck in this cycle of discouragement and sadness and apathy and jadedness and all these other things. Second thing response that he shows us is that we become resigned. Naturally, as soon as you try to conceal, but then you realize, oh, my, I am limited, then what happens? We become resigned. We become jaded. We become fatalistic. Just look at some of the, the phrasing here from verse 9 to 10. It says, all of our days pass away under your wrath. You, we bring our years to end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but of toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. I, I mean, that was over-exaggeration. But I really feel like some of us, we live our lives like that. Ah, oh, is me. This is my life. I guess 2022, I'm going to have a new BRP. It's going to be the same as last two years. I'm going to miss so many days. What's the point? Life is all labor, sorrow, pain, trouble, hard work. You know, it just sounds like Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless. Life is all is meaningless. But you know his conclusion? He, does, he doesn't say just give up and do what, just, just be fatalistic. He says fear God. Receive, accept your limitations. Because it's only when you accept your limitations can you break out of your cycle of resignment of fatalism, of jadedness. You accept your limitations. You realize God is the only one who's limited, but I am limited. And therefore, then I can now see God for who he is, break and pause and say, God, you are so much bigger and so much greater. Moses, in verse 11, he wraps up the section. He poses a question to counter this woe is me, sigh, responses. And I want to read it in the New Century Version because if you read uh, verse 11, he says, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? You're like, what does that mean? So in the New Century Version, this is what it says. Who knows the full power of your anger? Your anger is as great as our fear of you should be. Who knows the full? None of us. None of us. We know the full power of God's anger, his wrath. And you're like, first, you're like, first of all, Pastor Bo, like, I thought, I thought perfect fear casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Like, well, why, why is this fear thing here? Why, why are we focused on God's anger? Well, you're, you're missing the point. I want to read a verse by, uh, sorry, a quote by Sinclair Ferguson. This is what he says. He says, A proper fear of God is that the indefinable mixture of reverence and pleasure, joy and awe, which fills our hearts when we realize who God is and what he has done for us, it is a love for God which is so great that we would be ashamed to do anything which would displease or grieve him and make us happiest when we are doing what pleases him. So go back to the New Century Version. Who knows the full power of your anger? So when we know the full power of your anger, what are we going to do? Your anger is as great as our fear of you should be. So when our fear is in proper proportion to the anger that God has, that proper fear of God is going to what? 
make us happiest because we're going to what? Realize how limited we are. We're going to humble ourselves. And we're going to realize when we re- realize how limited we are, when we humble ourselves, then we are what? Going to be happiest when we do what pleases Him. We're going to be happiest when we do what pleases Him. So it's not this, uh, the, the perfect love casts out all fear. That means if you fear anything else other than, other than God, then love will pretty much cancel all that fear. But it should cause you to fear and revere God more than anything else. Fear and revere Him because He is the only one that is limitless and we are limited. We are broken. We are small. I want to read that same verse in the Amplified. It says, Who understands the power of your anger? Who connects this brevity of life among us with your judgment of sin and your wrath? Who connects it with the reverent fear that is due you? Who connects this brevity, the shortness of life, the 70 and 80 years, if that, that we have, connecting it with the judgment, the wrath, the fact that we are temporary, the fact that we are small, the fact that we are all judged the same under sin. Who connects that together? He's not saying life is going to be great. He's saying, life, yes, it is going to be hard. Yes, it's going to be full of disappointments. But when we connect it together, what does this mean? It's a rhetorical question. He's saying we ought to connect. When we see the brevity of life, we ought to have this awe and reverence and humility. Humility, this, this reverent fear that is due God. That we ought to humble ourselves and worship God because He is the only one who is worthy to be worshipped in that kind of way. And yes, we might be like, woe is me and all that, but when we fear God and we realize our limitations, then a response will be then what? A response of humility, and therefore it will lead to joy, peace, hope, love. Much of our, and this is a quote from A.W. Tozer from The Pursuit of God, much of our difficulty as seeking Christians stems from our unwillingness Everyone say unwillingness to take God as he is and adjust our lives accordingly. Let me just read that part again. Much of our difficulty as seeking Christians stems from our unwillingness to take God as he is and adjust our lives accordingly. We insist upon trying to modify him and bring him nearer to our own image. The flesh whimpers against the rigor of God's inexorable sentence and begs like Agag for a little mercy. Agag was a king that God had a lot of judgment on. He, he killed him because he was evil. So the flesh whimpers against this wrath. A little indulgence of, a, of its carnal ways, it is no use. We can get a right start only by accepting God as he is and learning to love him for what he is. And I think this gets down to the core issue that we all have, is that, the reason why we think that we are not limited is why? Because we're trying to be God. We're trying to bring God nearer to ourselves, to our own image. We're trying to make a God in our own image, in ourselves, in the way that we think ought to be. But that's not God. God is limitless. You cannot take God, the creator of the whole universe, and and stick him in a little bottle that looks like a human. You cannot. But yet we try to do that. Every single day. Why? Because we want to be unlimited when only God is unlimited. We are so limited. And, and, and this is something that we all suffer from. My, myself, it just, I, I, I love productivity. I, I am, if, you, if you talk about like self-help business books, I've read a lot. And then after some time, they all sound the same. You know what I'm talking about. 
if you've read enough. But I, and then, you know, after you read some of the world, you try to implement productivity strategies. And I've tried to do all, and, I, and I'm like, I kinda, I'm kind of techie, so I love using different software to somehow make my life more efficient, to make myself more productive, to do more and more. And so I went through, I used to use like, um, I, I wrote a couple of these things down. I used uh, Todoist, I don't know if you've used that before. And then I was like, Todoist is not that great, so I switched to, what did I switch to? I, I, I switched to paper, because there was this whole trend of like, paper is better than technology, use paper. And then I'm like, oh, but paper is so laborious. And then every time I want to start a new one, then I have to repeat and copy it all over it. So let me go back to technology. And then I went to Apple Reminders, because I was like, oh, Apple's pretty awesome, right? And then that was slow for me, too. I was like, forget that. And then went to Google Tasks, and that didn't work out either. And then I went back to Asana, because that was something that I used to do. And then I got into this uh, GTD, getting things done methodology. Some of you know that. I'm like, oh, it's more efficient. And then by the end, I was like, did I really make any progress? I probably wasted more time switching system and methodologies than I actually spent being product productive and efficient. And, and somewhere along the line, I realized I'm limited. No matter how many strategies or efficiencies or techniques or all these kind of hacks that you try to implement into your life, you try, I try, I'm never going to go beyond a certain capacity that I have. Every one of us, we only have 24 hours in the day. And we all need sleep. Some of us need more sleep than others. But we all need sleep, and we all have a certain limitation. And some of us, we always are trying to exceed that limitation. We get frustrated when we can't, but that's the point, is you can't. And now that I have Noah, I'm even more limited. I'm like, and that really broke me, because I'm like, now I can't even use Asana. <laughs> Just wait. Just when you, when you get married, once you have a kid, you're going to get broken. If you, if you, if God doesn't break you now, he's going to break you when you have a kid. Amen, families? <laughs> he's going to break you when, when you have a kid because you literally have no control over your time. And until we recognize that, that this is a sin issue. It's not just a, a behavior. It is a sin issue. This, this idea that we want to be unlimited, we want to be like doing all these things officially, it is a sin issue. Why? Because what we want is we want to find the ultimate sense of accomplishment. We want to find the sense of ultimate sense of control, ultimate sense of comfort, ultimate sense of approval in order to satisfy us, but we cannot because we're limited. And we're trying to replace God with all these things that we think are going to be better, but what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I'm the only one that could give you the ultimate and unlimited sense of hope, of approval, of comfort, of control in your life. Jesus Christ, he was our greatest treasure, Ephesians 1. He gave all spiritual blessings to us. He is the only one who could provide everything that we need. He is the greatest comfort. John 14, he says he will send the Holy Spirit, the comforter, who will comfort you. He is the only one who can provide that comfort. Romans 8, he is the only one who can provide the greatest approval. Who is it that can condemn? No one. Only Jesus Christ can approve of us that will give us a love that will never be taken away. And until you put your hope, your faith, your trust, your whole life, your whole weight upon Jesus Christ, you will never, ever, Find this deep joy, peace, hope, love, and satisfaction. 
And so I want to invite us this morning to be able to put our hope and our everything in Jesus Christ, knowing that God is the only one who is limitless and we are the ones who are so limited. Let's pause and pull back a little bit. Uh, the last point is actually more like just the next steps. And so I want to just close out with the second point, which is we talked about breaking. So that's just pausing, reflecting. The second point is now steering. And I just want to give us, I want to use this, the next six verses because they're actually just six prayers that Moses prays that, that gives us some practical things for us now to do as we're pausing, as we're breaking, as we're reflecting. These are some practical things that we can actually do as we continue on and we finish out this year, 2021. So let's just read the verses and then I'll give us these six prayers. Verses 12 to 16, Psalm 90. It says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have, as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So six prayers, and as we steer, this is where we start to got to turn. We pause, we reflect, and this is where we got to do something. We got to turn so that we don't crash in that car in front of us. We don't spin out and keep doing the same things that we were doing. So prayer one, verse 12, what does he say? Teach us to number our days. Realize the brevity of life. He's saying realize the brevity of life. I think I shared this in a sermon earlier on. But if you, if you, if you estimate the, the average lifespan of a person is 70, 80 years, 76 is just under 4,000 weeks. You only have 4,000 weeks to live. That's it. I'm 32, almost 33. I've passed 1,600 weeks. That means I only have 20, 2,400 weeks left. If you think about it, that's really depressing. 2,400 weeks left. And my question is, how are you going to make every single week count? Have you ever thought about that? Some of us, we have more weeks. Some of us, we have less weeks. How are you going to make every week count? Are the things that you're doing the most important things that you ought to be doing in your life? Otherwise, next week, you're going to have 2,399 weeks left. And then the following week, it's going to be one less. And it's going to keep going down. And you might not even have 70 years. I don't know about you, but many of you at UST know what happened recently about that person who committed suicide. Some of you know that there were someone who went hiking months or so back, ended up disappearing and dying. We don't know exactly why or how, but passed away. He was like 30-something, late 20s. People passing away. You have no idea when you're going to pass away. So the question is, are you investing in the most important things that you ought to be investing in? And during this season, this holiday, I know some of you are busy with work. I know family's always busy. But can you take out just working adults, take out just an hour, two hours to say, I want to pause. I want to reflect. I want to reprioritize my life because I realize my priorities are all over the place and I'm investing in things that don't have eternal significance, don't have eternal impact. So reprioritize, realize the brevity of life. Students, you have lots of time. You have no excuse. 
You have no excuse. I'm going to leave it out there. You have no excuse. Prayer two, return to God through repentance. He says, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servant. So yes, he's saying, return, God, return to us. But when he says, have pity on us, what is that? That's a posture of repentance. He's saying, God, we've wronged. We messed up. Have pity on us. We're trying to return to you. And I just want to remind us, there's, there's something called the four R's of transformation. Realize, repent, receive, recommit. Go through that. Spend some time in prayer. Don't just let this season pass by and be like, oh, la-di-da, you know, things are good. But really come back and say, God, there's so many times where my perspective has been trying to be unlimited. I've been trying to be God. When really, I'm not God. And you need to repent of that. Confess that. Apologize. Tell God you're sorry. And say, God, these are the things I, I want to stop doing. I want to do these things for you instead. That's the second thing. Prayer three. He talks about satisfying us in the morning with your steadfast love so we can rejoice. Prayer three is restart each day with God's love. Restart each day with God's love. He's saying satisfy us in the morning. He doesn't say in the afternoon. He doesn't say in the evening. Of course, yes, it's also applicable for the afternoon and the evening. But he says satisfy us in the morning. Why is the morning so important? Because it's the first thing that you do or you think about during your day. What's the first thing that you do when you wake up? Don't raise your hand. How many of it's Instagram? How many of it's Netflix? How many of it's check your apps or other things? Play some video, you know, mobile games. Some of you, you're like so anxious about work, so it's checking your task list or your emails, your messages. And you, if you get that notification, it's your boss, you're like, oh no, something bad happened. What's the first thing that you, that will set the tone for your day. And if your tone is set by your boss, if your tone is set by Netflix, if your tone is set by Instagram, then are you going to be satisfied in the morning with God's love? No. Start your day. Restart every day with God's love. That's why I want to challenge us. Commit to the BRP. Commit to the Bible reading plan. We go through these two years together for a reason. And we don't make it a law like, thou shalt always do BRP first thing in the morning. But when's the last time you woke up in the morning, you got ready, brush your teeth, do whatever, Wash your face, use that face cleanser, and then sat down, turn your phone to airplane mode so you don't get notifications, and then just spend time with God in his word. Do your soul, and then spend time in prayer. I really feel like that will change many of our lives. Because instead of filling our lives with all these other things that are not of God, we're filling our lives with God's perspective first. And then we're, because we prioritize our life, we're like, God, you're most important in my life. So today, I want you to make, I want to make you the most important thing in my life. Restart each day with God's love. Fourth prayer and fourth practical thing. Talks about um, make us glad for as many days as you afflicted us for as many years as we've seen evil. So this prayer is to recount and reflect on the past. Yes, he's saying make us glad, but what is he saying? As many as days we've seen evil. So there's an implicit understanding that he's remembered, he's seen through all the things that have happened. All the discouragement. We're not saying... Sweep those things under the rug. We're not saying pretend they didn't happen. We're saying acknowledge them. Bring them to God. Count them. Understand them. Process them. Make us glad even though we see the difficulties and the discouragements and the hardships. That means you need to spend some time reflecting. That means you need to take some time out to pause. That means, you, like I said earlier, like single adults, you only have an hour, two hours, you know, maybe half a day 
at most. It would be great if you could just take a whole day off, go camping by yourself, whatever it takes. But students, again, like, take, like, this is the problem. So many of us, we fill our whole, because we think we have so much time. We fill our calendars with all these other things. Oh, yeah, I could do, I could get to it later. And so you fill your time. Why wouldn't you, the first thing, put, like, a whole day just with God? You know, you have, you know, hangouts with your friends, hang out with your classmates, hang out with your colleagues, hang out with your family. You put that all in your calendar. Why? Because it's important to you. Why don't you put hang out with God? Ladies, date with God. And then, you know, like dress up, put on makeup, do everything, you know. Get ready. <laughs> Prepare for it. Set a date. Don't, like, yeah, I don't know. If there's this really, really good-looking guy, perfect personality, amazing perspective. He is, like, filthy rich, and you have a date with him for a whole day. Would you skip on that date? No way. But who did I describe? Jesus. All-powerful, omnipotent, all-providing, really good-looking, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Set a date with God. All right, prayer five. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Recommit to having faith. Recommit to having faith. I know that... It's a little bit more intangible, but I want to try to make it practical. Because he's saying, let your work be shown, your glorious power. So that itself is a prayer of faith. He's saying, God, I want to see these things. I want to see your work. And you can't do that unless you have faith. And so in order to have faith, what is it going to take? I don't, remember, we just had our beyond testimony. I don't know if you remember that beyond prayer that you wrote down back in September. And I don't know where that went for you personally. Hopefully you wrote it down. You remember what it, what it said. If you don't, come up with a new one. Or hopefully try to remember and write a new one in line with what that was. And pray for that. Say, God, I want to see this happen. Maybe I haven't seen it happen. Or maybe it's partially happened. But I want to see that. Pray for that. I want to look forward to the retreat. Believe. And sign up for the retreat in faith. Believing that God wants to set you free from something. God wants you to help you have a breakthrough. God wants you to overcome something. Do something that requires faith. Maybe there's a colleague that you're reaching out to, and, and this whole time they, 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 they totally rejected you for your Thanksgiving thing. They rejected you for the Christmas. But for whatever reason, God is burdening your heart for this person. And in faith, pray for them. Talk with them. Build a relationship with them. And who knows? God may open up a door opportunity for you to share your faith with them in this coming year. Do something in faith. Believe it. Go back to God is, you know, can do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power that is work within us. And then last thing, prayer six. It says, let the favor of the Lord of God be upon us to establish the work of our hands. This prayer is rely on God for your future work. Rely on God for your future work. I think all of, you know, some of us who are really excited about New Year's resolutions, like I could do this. You have this, already you have this optimism, Pastor, well, I don't need the sermon. I'm already excited. 22 is going to be a great year. But some of you, that optimism is very superficial. It's, it's a very thin, and there's no foundation to that. And as soon as the first bad thing that happens, what, what are you going to do? You're going to be like, oh, I shouldn't have been optimistic. Relying on God for your future work. That means depending on God. 
That means, again, all the things we talked about, reflecting, praying. But what I want to challenge us is to step into this year with this attitude of God is going to do some amazing things. I want us to think and look toward next week because we're going to talk about now coming into the new year. In January, I think it's 2nd, is going to be our first Sunday of the new year. And we're going to talk about accelerating. We're going to look forward to that sermon and say, God, I'm going to come in looking forward on Sunday, looking forward to what it is you're going to do. I'm going to rely on you because I cannot do this by myself. I'm going to come to that first life group of the year. And I'm going to be excited. I'm going to be helpful. I'm going to be investing. I'm going to be proactive because God is the one who's going to give me the strength to be able to do that. And as we do these things, it's realizing the brevity of life, returning to God through repentance, restarting each day with God's love, recounting, reflecting on the past, and recommitting to have faith, and then relying on God for your future work. I want to believe that we're going to see amazing turning points in all of our lives. And that's why the one thing as we close is our turning point starts when we slow down and see life from God's standpoint. Can we just stand together and we'll just respond? I know you've been sitting there for quite some time, so can we just can we just respond with some time to just be still and pause, break, hit the brakes, and just listen. Many of us we're not good listeners, myself included. We're not good listeners. We don't, we don't, we're, we're constantly talking to God. We're constantly trying to get our own agenda across. But we're not listening to God. We're not, because what listening requires you to stop. It requires you to pay attention. It requires you to focus. And maybe if we just listen, that God would be speaking different things to us in our lives. It would give us a whole new perspective. Can we just do that as we respond? Just for the next, I'll give us like three or four minutes just to be here in silence, listening to him. You want to kind of pray in your own mind, that's fine. But just listen, have this posture of humility, saying, God, you're God, I'm not. You've been doing such amazing things. I'm not that big. I'm not that great. And I just want to humble myself before we get to the end of this year to honor you to see you as limitless, to put you in your rightful place instead of trying to be there myself. Can we just do that for the next couple minutes? Close out with a song and some response.
respond respond with this song that just talks about how we are amazed by who God is. And I don't know as you're there just listening to God, maybe he's reminding us of some of the things that he's done this whole past year, this whole season. And maybe we weren't even conscious of it until we just paused to spend some time and listen. He's been speaking to us. Look at look at this thing that I've done in your life. Look at this way I've been faithful to you. Look how I've been always there, even though you've been always going on your own path. I've been watching and protecting over you this whole time. Maybe some of us, we've been feeling that experience. If you haven't, I just want to pray that even as we sing the song, God will remind us of those things that he's been so good to us. And even when we're not aware of the things that he's been doing, let's respond with the song and sing it together. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.